Okay, so fire snake prophecy. The question you're asking is, what is this all about? What am I doing here? This is not about predictions of the future, earthquakes, assassinations, etc. This is basically just a way or a place for me to share my thoughts, my ideas, my view on things. If you're happy with how things are and you like what you see, that's fine. If I can maybe help anyone, give them a different perspective, a different outlook on things, that's fine as well. The name Fire Snake comes from the Chinese Zodiac, 1977, the year I was born. The year of the snake, the fire snake, there's other snakes, wood snakes, water snakes, which will end up being meaningless uh, anyways when we start talking about time and how it works simultaneously. And you have past, present, future all happening at once. Uh, similar to how uh, when people talk about reincarnation and they talk about past lives, there's no real past lives if uh, future lives and present lives are all happening at the same time. So the concept of being born under just one astrological sign doesn't make any sense when you're born under all of them. The same with the word prophecy. It doesn't make sense to talk about someone seeing into the future when there is no future. You're just seeing what is. So this thing had to have a name. I had to pick one and fire snake prophecy sounded pretty badass. So that's what I went with. I don't want to talk about time right now. What I want to talk about is consciousness, although time is a perception of consciousness. And actually everything ends up being a function of consciousness because consciousness is the primary building block of reality. And I want to start the, the discussion of consciousness with a near-death experience I had. This material was originally intended to be a book. So bear with me while I learn how to make and produce and edit videos. There is a, if you're interested, there's a completed first chapter of the book available on my website, firesnakeprophecy.com, as well as these videos in podcast format with written transcripts. Before I get into the near-death story, I do want to say a few things up front that overarch throughout all the material. So consciousness is the primary building block of reality. Basically, consciousness is all there is. And the end result of this is that your mind literally creates the world around you. And so your thoughts, what you think will be what you experience and what you see. And it's kind of funny, I've come across quite a few people recently that complain about the untrustworthiness of other people. Well, if that's what you go looking for, that's exactly what you will find. And the opposite is also true. If you go looking for peace, beauty, wisdom, they will appear. Your mind will make it so. And I don't blame people for having trust issues. Our society, our culture, from a very early age, from birth even, gives suggestions, negative suggestions about the nature of other people, the ability to trust them, their nature in general, and even negative suggestions about trusting our own selves. And people internalize these suggestions and they start to think they need gadgets to do what their mind is already capable of. They think that if they relied on their natural instincts and the natural grace they were born with, it would lead to trouble or danger. For example, you have people nowadays wanting to build a quantum computer. 
Well, you already have a quantum computer. Your consciousness is a quantum computer. It can operate at all places simultaneously on all planes of reality. Or uh, you have people wanting to use a space shuttle to travel to different worlds. Again, this is just another gadget to do what your mind is already capable of. If you want to travel to different worlds and meet alien life forces, just take DMT. <laughs> or any psychedelic. Actually, you don't even need drugs. Just uh, go to sleep and dream at night or meditate. And so people want to use gadgets because they don't trust themselves. I'm not saying gadgets are bad or there's anything wrong with them. They're just things that existed in the mind before they existed in physical form. All technology exists in the mind before it's created in physical form. So if you want a prediction of what future technology will look like, all you have to do is look into the mind. Take UFOs, for instance. They seem to travel through space and materialize from another plane of reality. Right now, our space shuttle is traveling on the surface of space, so it's highly unlikely that we'll encounter any new worlds. I want to talk about consciousness first of all and then later on get into time and space and suggestion. So let me tell you the story of my near-death experience which was the most incredible thing that's happened to me which is saying a lot considering the miraculous healing of my eyesight, my lifelong myopic vision. Both of these things had uh, one thing in common though which is all I had to do was ask a question and my mind went out and found the answer. So I just got done saying how your mind creates the world around you. You get what you concentrate on or you become what you worship. Now you're probably wondering since I had a near-death experience why was I focusing on death? Well I wasn't focused on death I was focused on getting answers and one of the answers I found is that death is an illusion. Things cycle, they blink on and off, things don't constantly stay on. When you turn a light switch off, you don't say the light bulb died. The same thing when you go to sleep at night. And this is how the whole universe operates, we just don't perceive it as such right now. And so the better question to ask would be, why was I trying to blink out a reality? And I'm going to have to give you a little bit of personal history in order for this to make any sense. But the short answer is fulfillment. Fulfillment is the reason we blink into existence and fulfillment is the real purpose of life not survival like some people would lead you to believe and real fulfillment should benefit every other consciousness as much as it does you and so throughout my life I kept having these repeating experiences where one heartbreaking thing would happen to me but then another opportunity would materialize seemingly out of nowhere and with almost no effort on my part this happened when I graduated med school, when I was playing poker, when I was writing screenplays, and then again most recently with golf. And so this goes back to fulfillment of yourself and others. I mean, sure, I guess I could have just kept having these amazing, magical events or experiences happen to me and kept it to myself, but then what do I say at the end of my life? Wow, what a bunch of awesome stuff happened to me? Wouldn't it be better if I could somehow figure out what was happening or how this works so other people could bring some cool, great stuff into their lives as well? So this stuff that kept happening to me, people call these kinds of things serendipity or synchronicity or whatever else. We have names for it, but we really have no idea how it works. So in my mind, I thought, 
this information is coming to me from somewhere. There's a place where it exists before it ultimately reaches me. And it's not any place I can see in this world, so it must be coming from another dimension or another plane of reality, and I need to go there. And these are the thoughts that ended up triggering my near-death experience. So I needed to go to the place where the information was coming from. And as far as I knew, there were no instructions for how to do this. I went through a lot of schooling. Nobody ever talked about traveling to other dimensions that I recall. String theory across my path, but they make sure to emphasize how it's only theory. Well, I needed something practical, so I turned to the only place I remember other dimensions being discussed, which was the movies. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of sci-fi books that deal with this topic, but I wasn't a very big reader until recently. There's actually a joke or story about the various doctor personality types. For instance, they call emergency room doctors the cowboys of medicine, anesthesiologists are the lazy bums, neurosurgeons are the egomaniacs. Well, when I was in med school, I, I was focused on orthopedics, and the joke about them goes, how do you hide something from an orthopedist? Well, you put it in a book. So that's a little preface or background for why I'm bringing up movies now. The first movie that popped into my head that I thought might help in getting to another dimension was the movie Jumper with Hayden Christensen who was also in Star Wars. In this movie he jumps to different times and places like ancient Egypt, Rome, or into bank vaults to rob them. The more I thought about that movie though, he seemed to be taken off from a standstill from his bedroom or living room and it appeared that he was actually teleporting places instead of jumping. I liked the idea of actually jumping somewhere, so another movie came into my mind was The Matrix, specifically the jump program scene where Neo is trying to learn how to jump from one skyscraper to another. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. But I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. Tank, load the jump program. You have to let it all go, Neo. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind. So after remembering this scene from the Matrix, what I did is create a visualization in my mind of the jump program, and instead of Neo, I put myself there and tried to make the jump from one building to the next. Well, in the movie, one of the supporting characters remarks that nobody makes their first jump, and this ended up being the case with me as well. It wasn't a total failure though, because something did happen. I was able to generate a slight feeling of lifting out of my body. 
similar to how you might feel when riding a roller coaster and so I thought it's a good start I just need to find a way to amplify that feeling in order to achieve total separation and for people who might, who might think this is nuts it's actually not they've done laboratory studies of high-level Olympic and professional athletes they measure their body responses while the athlete goes through an intense visualization of their performance or routine and they can produce measured physical responses as if they're actually competing for real and this is just another form of hypnosis or self-suggestion which we'll get into later many decorated athletes and world record holders have worked with the famous psychiatrist and hypnotist Milton Erickson there are many books about him by himself or others and you can check my website for a, a list of recommendations but back to the story so I was able to generate a feeling of separation from this physical reality I just needed to find a way to amplify or increase it I tried to run the matrix jump program a few more times but couldn't get any further results and so I scanned my mind for any other movies which might help and what came back was a movie called The Bridge which is a documentary about the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and people who go there to end their lives by jumping This last movie seemed to be a perfect match because I had lived in San Francisco for a while and could create a very realistic visualization of the bridge from my memories. And this turned out to be the key. The problem with the Matrix Jump program was there was an artificialness about it that was preventing full immersion. And so with the Golden Gate Bridge I could conjure up all those small details that make a world feel lifelike. The feel of the cold wind trying to knock you off balance the sound of traffic and pedestrians, the space and distance to the water. And so just like I had with the Matrix Jump program, I went about creating a visualization. This time, instead of on a building, I put myself on the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm not going to lie, when I got up there, I was a little scared because I started thinking about something else they said in the Matrix, which was, if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life. And this is also the entire premise of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise with Freddy Krueger. Being up there on the bridge was so scary in fact that the first time I jumped I had to abort out of the visualization because the feelings were just too intense. Just like how all the details of the environment had become lifelike and real, the feelings of panic, regret and fear on the way down had become just as real. The second attempt was just as nerve wracking as the first. Even though intellectually I convinced myself that it didn't matter, there were still the feelings that go along with knowing it's going to happen. After a certain point though, there was an inevitability about it and nothing I could do would change the result. But the last few feet before I hit the water came the biggest shock of my life. There was a sudden burst of light and what happened next I can only describe as getting ejected not only out of my visualization but out of my physical body so in the blink of an eye I went from falling incredibly fast towards the water beneath Golden Gate Bridge to floating leisurely above an unrecognizable new reality before I get into any specific observations of this surreal new environment 
I think it's important to take note of the speed aspect both before and after the transition because it's going to play a part in how I try to explain what happened. The re-entry phase will be another important aspect to pay attention to. So at first what stood out most was the abruptness of the transition. It wasn't smooth or gradual at all. The only analogy I can come up with, and it's not a very good one, would be to go from watching a movie to getting attacked by a shark. And the reason is it's not a good analogy is at least you know what a movie is and you know what a shark is. This was not a new situation or a new place. It seemed to be an entirely new type of existence. The shark attack analogy also fails to capture the essence of it because it implies things like fear and violence, which highlights the second thing that stood out most. There was an overwhelming feeling of peace and well-being. There was no pain or suffering. Worry didn't seem to exist. I was not worried about my body or how I'd get back to it. Those are only concerns when reflecting back from my current viewpoint. In that state, I got the impression I could easily have gone on to do other things without looking back. Those were my initial feelings and my thoughts were similar to the feelings in that there was an expansion and freedom of thought. The level of understanding and awareness seemed increased. That little voice in the back of your head that's always second guessing was no longer there. There was no thinking required to understand things because somehow you already knew stuff. Now I want to try to give a description of what I saw, but this is going to be incredibly difficult for several reasons. The first reason being, I don't believe I had a set of physical eyes in whatever state or place I went to. The second reason being, I'm trying to give a linear account of something where a lot of these impressions were happening simultaneously. Some people who have had near-death experiences describe this as having 360 degree vision. The last reason for difficulty lies in the fact that I wasn't in this world for very long so I didn't have a chance to examine anything very thoroughly. With that being said, this is what I saw and how it played out, keeping in mind that what I saw could easily have been images generated by a deeper aspect of consciousness. I firmly believe though that what happened here was my consciousness, either whole or a part of it, having an experience while separated from my physical body. So I went from a head first position approaching the water at high velocity and following a transition involving a flash of light I was suddenly oriented upright and floating over a surreal landscape. So the first thing I noticed is I was moving in a forward direction the whole time at a little faster than a casual pace. Neither the speed nor the direction of movement seemed to be under my conscious control. There was no sound or not much of it. There could have been the sound of a light breeze or air going by, but no music or trumpets. The view below me was that of a valley or canyon. It did not seem to have a solid three-dimensional quality to it, like I could crash into it and not hurt myself. It's also possible I was the one who lacked the substance. There appeared to be beans of a wispy material that were floating in the canyon. Their precise shape was hard to make out due to the distance. They were spread out and numbered maybe a couple dozen or so. I guess that they were being similar to me because I didn't feel like I had a body. My focus quickly went from what was below me to the direction I was traveling. The sky was painted with brilliant colors, not a sunset, but the colors you might find in one. There was no water anywhere. However, I looked to see if I could spot the bridge that I had jumped from. It was no longer there. 
but rather than confusion, I remember feeling amusement or wonder or astonishment or even all those feelings at the same time. After looking to see if I could spot the bridge, I turned my attention back in the forward direction and there were two wispy beans in the distance I was approaching. They were closer together than the ones in the valley and my path seemed to be headed slightly above them. I was positioned between them but more towards the one on the right and as I got closer their shapes became clearer and the best description I can provide is of large whitish semi-transparent flying stingrays with pronounced wings. They also had a faint glowing or luminous quality to them. After passing almost completely over the top of them I began getting pulled towards the bean below me and to the right. I remember not being happy about this because I was having a good time just taking in my surroundings. This pulling also didn't seem to be happening in a straight line either. It was almost a feeling of circling a drain and being captured against my will. And the next thing I knew I was back in the physical world. But when I returned to the physical world, it wasn't quite the same world I had left because my body didn't feel the same anymore. Or more accurately, it felt like I was inhabiting two bodies instead of just my own. I had my body with all its familiar rhythms, but superimposed on that were the rhythms from someone else's body. Especially pronounced was the breathing pattern of this other body. And it was difficult to adjust to this other pattern because it felt like the breathing rhythms from a body much larger than my own. And then it dawned on me that I knew who this other body belonged to it was the breathing rhythm of my 300 pound father who was in the room next door. As I slowly started to comprehend the situation, I realized some difficult decisions needed to be made. The scientist in me wanted to stick around in both bodies and run experiments on this probably once in a lifetime opportunity. Another part of me knew that if the circumstances were reversed, I wouldn't appreciate someone running tests on me without my permission. And so, somewhat begrudgingly, I abandoned both bodies and settled back into my own. And so that's a fairly comprehensive account of my near-death experience. Like I mentioned previously, there's a slightly extended version of it that's part of the first chapter of my book that's on my website. I think I want to end the first episode here though, and then next time pick up at this same place, and then take you through how I started to try to make sense of all this. So if you've made it this far, I want to say thanks for watching or listening or reading or however this material made it to you.